Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where each week we take you back into history and tell you about some strange thing, person, place, event, whatever. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'm your host for the podcast this week, Barnaby King, and joining me as ever is my co-host Amelia Edwards. Hello. Hello. How are you you doing? (laughs) I'm doing well and I seem to have a bit more of a grasp on what's happening on this podcast than you do. Shush. Uh Sometimes I just forget how to open the show. That's fair. it's because I've got other things to think of, and this week, <laughs> this week, I am, um, I'm not confident on the veracity of some of the stuff I'm going to talk about. Okay, great. Because welcome to that time when the comedy history <laughs> podcast where we lie to you. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. This is the truth, as the best of my ability to work it out because the woman I'm going to talk about to kind of close us out of Black History Month and to be honest it's going to spill over into next week as well so we're extending Black History Month here (laughs) on that time when. Well we did start late so we did yes. (laughs) I think we're having a Black History Month all of our own. Absolutely but the woman I'm going to talk about has a very interesting history and really it seems hard to kind of pull apart the truth from the fiction okay she's one of those people yeah but like calamity jane maybe interestingly though this comes from the 20th century oh my god okay so there's less excuse Mm. um but you might see why it's it's the one i'm going to talk about is josephine baker Oh. Yes, do you know her? I know Josephine Baker. Yeah, you probably know her as a dancer. Yes, and that's a performer. right. Yeah, she was very famous. Um, some early recordings of her dancing still exist. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's one from 1927. Nice, um, that's early. Yes, absolutely. She was incredibly popular, basically one of the earliest sort of worldwide superstars. Okay. Um, and she popularised a lot of different things. Uh, most famously, she's known for her banana dance, I think it's called. Okay. She wore an outfit of with artificial bananas as a skirt. Uh, she was very provocative as well. A lot of her performances were distinctly erotic in nature. Mm. Is this that kind of 1920s, like, um, we are just getting over World War One? it's the prohibition, so we're all going to get a little bit risque thing going on? Perhaps, but actually she didn't spend too much time in America, so prohibition's not really a thing there. Okay. She was a lot more popular in Europe. Okay, well, Germany had the Weimar Republic. That was all very, like, footloose and fancy-free. Well, she was most popular in France. In fact, she actually, uh, later on in her life, became a French citizen and had had a new French name. She really liked France. Was it like... Josephine, um, oh <laughs> Napoleon. God. No, I'm trying to work out what Baker. I'm trying to remember what Baker is in French. Boulanger, I think. <laughs> uh, I don't believe so, but we'll be getting to that later because the thing is, if you look on the Wikipedia page for Josephine Baker, it comes up with Josephine Baker was an entertainer, mm-hmm. a civil rights activist, okay. and French resistance agent. Yes! Awesome. She had an incredibly complicated life. Okay. Um, so in this episode, I'm mostly going to be sort of sticking around the first part of that, her dancing okay. and entertaining. And this definitely happened? This definitely happened. Okay. It's just the details. Right, it's just the right. details of it that are a bit muddled, but... 
this is what I've kind of pieced together. And it may be, as I say, that some of it might be wrong. Listeners, if you know better than me, write in. Mm. Because, as always, we are not experts. (laughs) This is especially not me. Amelia brings some expertise and I bring my enthusiasm and ability to forget how to introduce our podcast. But I have no idea about the 20th century, so I'm no help here either. Well, so let's start off with uh, Josephine Baker being born on the 3rd of June, 1906. Uh, She was born Frida Josephine MacDonald in St. Louis, Missouri. Mm -hmm. And she came from an impoverished family. Oh, God. I wouldn't want to be impoverished in St. Louis. Wasn't that where they had that awful Olympics that we covered as well? Was it um, St. Louis? I think it was, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very dusty place. Very yes, dry. Yes, absolutely. Um, her grandparents were actually ex-slaves, mm-hmm. which, I mean, is not that unusual. Her mother was a washerwoman, and there's some suggestion that she might have had aspirations to be a music hall dancer. Okay. Um, but we, we can't be sure of that. Okay. Uh, Josephine's father was a vaudeville drummer, who abandoned them pretty soon after Josephine was born. Oh, damn. Okay. Now, it is disputed whether or not he was Josephine's natural father. Right. Josephine's foster son, in a biography he wrote about his uh, foster mother, says that Josephine's natural father was actually a white man. Okay. And that this might have caused the rift that led Josephine's father to leave her mother. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's um, it's a bit of a complicated story. It doesn't mm. seem like there's any real way to tell exactly who's correct. Yeah. Um, because as I say, impoverished family. This is why like, you're not going to get that many records of someone's early life in that case. Yeah, hundred percent. What we do know, though, is that at eight years old, uh, Josephine was having to work to help support her mother and half-siblings. Mm-hmm. The family had grown larger. Uh, Josephine's mother had had a number of other children. And so Josephine had to go and work as a cleaner and babysitter for wealthy white families. Oh, my God. And but also, like, imagine leaving your kids in the care of an eight-year-old. Absolutely. It's, I, I've no idea what some of these people were thinking. That's mad. Yeah. And they all, it seems, pretty much universally treated Josephine appallingly. I mean, sure. Yeah. There are stories of uh, attempts of sexual abuse. Oh, my God. There was a woman who said that Josephine couldn't kiss her baby because she didn't want a black woman kissing her child. Great. Another woman burned her hands for wasting soap. Oh my god. Yeah. You that is so like um that vampire duchess we talked about a long time ago. Elizabeth Bathory. Yes. Yeah. Like that's the sort of thing that I'm like people don't do that. Yeah. And it turns out no they do. They absolutely do. You know. So Despite working, she did manage to go to school for a couple of years, but had to mm. but had to drop out basically because she wasn't enjoying it. It wasn't really doing anything for her, and she had to work all the time still. Yeah, God, imagine. Sorry, I'm just trying to imagine this because, like, I actually did have a pupil who had a full time job on weekends, mm. and the level of his enthusiasm at school was low. Yeah. Um. 
but I'm kind of imagining if they had a full-time job the whole time, what that would have done to... Absolutely. What that would have done to their growing brain, especially since this kid was, like, 15. It wasn't yeah. so unheard of, you know? Yeah, this is an eight-year-old. Yeah, no. Yeah. She's Eight not going to have the concentration span no, to do it. Absolutely not. It seems, though, at this point, uh, Josephine was starting to get an interest in performing and dance. Mm -hmm. Uh, To supplement her wages, she would apparently dance on street corners. Okay. uh, As a sort of busking thing. Um, Some people have made suggestions that do not seem to be founded, that as a teenager, she used that as an excuse to solicit sex. Right. It doesn't seem like there's any actual evidence of this. I think it's just one of those things that people come up with and it's just a bit grotty and there's no real evidence for it. We just want... Sometimes people just want to be grotty, especially about the past. Absolutely. I mean, it's things like if you read The Five, which is about the five women who were killed by Jack the Ripper, Mm. one of the first things that the author talks about, which is really interesting, is the fact that only one of them was a sex worker. Oh, right. And we've been taught throughout, like, forever that Mm. they were all sex workers, but that's just because it was... Like, there was an assumption that every working class woman living in, like, Whitechapel would have been a sex worker. So it's easy to class them all under that. I think there's a very similar thing going on here. I would imagine so. I mean, didn't they say exactly the same thing about Calamity Jane, that she used to engage in sex work as well? That's very true, I think it's the only way that people can imagine women looking after themselves. Yeah, and she did have to look after herself because her relationship with her mother was not good. No, I wouldn't uh, imagine it was. Yeah, she was basically kicked out of her home. Oh my God. Um, she was basically forced to live as one of the slum children that were quite common in St. Louis at the time, mm-hmm. uh, sleeping in cardboard boxes and alleyways. So... Barnaby, when is this history going to get fun? It's very sad. <laughs> it is very sad. And to be honest, there's going to be a lot of sad. I mean... But there is a lot of interesting. Like, Okay, all right. So this is definitely the saddest point. Yeah, this is heartbreaking. Um, and we've covered two kids who were given away in the last two episodes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so when I say this is like the saddest point, I mean this this kind of general era of her life. Okay. Because there's more to come. Okay, great. Yeah. So by the age of 13, uh, she'd been pretty much fully kicked out and she was either sleeping on the streets or having to live with her employers. Okay. Now, at the age of 13, she was working as a waitress in an ice cream parlour and living with her employer, who we know very little about other than what we presume is a nickname because it cannot possibly be his real name. Go ahead. His name was Mr. Dad. <laughs> I, I, I mean, that could be his name. It could be his name. I think it's a nickname. Okay. And I think it is just as skeezy as it kind of sounds. Right. Okay. Because basically, Mr. Dad seems to have made some attempts to sexually assault her. Great. And I mean, what else are you going to do with your 13 year old yeah. ice cream factory worker? Yeah. Okay. So. Great. In response to this, her mother finds out Mm -hmm. and goes to the ice cream parlour and drags Josephine away, not to look after her, but to basically prevent a scandal. So... I mean, good results. Not good reasons. Not good reasons. And it gets worse. Okay, sure. On the advice of Josephine's godmother, Mm -hmm. Josephine's mother marries her off at 13. Oh my 
Okay, fine. Illegally yeah. to a gravel worker by the name of Willie Wells. <laughs> oh, do you, okay. <laughs> you, you, you can take uh, a moment there. I, I need a moment. That's... <laughs> it sounds unbelievable, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. First up, just the fact that people people in olden days had such interesting job titles, like yeah. a gravel worker. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what that entails. I'm assuming it's something to do with gravel. Well, but yes, like but... that's as far as I can go on it. Yeah, pretty much, and that's about as far as I could get. Yeah, because to be honest, we know very little about Willie Wells. It will not surprise you their marriage did not last, what with her being 13 and yeah. him being probably in his late 20s. Oh, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The marriage broke down after a few weeks because <laughs> yeah. Josephine was spending all his money, um, lied about being pregnant. Right. And the final, <laughs> the final nail in the coffin, as it were, was that she hit him with a bottle and he ended up in hospital. Aren't women always the same? (laughs) This is why you don't get married, guys. Yeah. Because women, they lie, they spend all your money, they attack you with bottles. (laughs) I mean, good for her, to be honest. Like, I... I... Kind of, ex- I always expect people who end up being forced to marry at young ages to go one of two ways. Yeah, and I and one of them being, you know, very cowed and like yeah. beaten into submission kind of thing, and the other way is that. Yeah, this kind of sets a bit of a tone for Josephine as a person. Mm-hmm. Like she is kind of fantastic. I think that if you were in any way in her way or on her bad side. You are just screwed. Like, okay. she was a force of nature. From Is the she sounds one of, of those it. women that we're going to go, she's amazing? I would never want to meet her. Absolutely. Okay, that's fair. 100%. Yeah. Because, like, this is her at 13, and she only gets, like, more confident as time goes by. Wonderful stuff. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, she divorces Willie Wells and decides to go back to waitressing. Okay. Now, one time, while she's working as a waitress, uh, she is spotted by another woman called Clara Smith. Clara Smith uh, is a po- a popular and, I believe, still quite famous blues singer. Yeah. Who uh, Josephine Baker apparently actually idolised in her earlier years and may have sort of seen her perform. But at this point, uh, Clara was in town with a travelling troupe and saw Josephine we don't know exactly in what capacity whether or not she kind of just struck up a friendship with a mutual love of like dance and entertaining and theatre whether or not uh, Josephine was I don't know maybe doing some performing while she was waitressing Mm. doing a little dance or something Um, but either way they got to know each other and Clara basically went you should join this troupe okay And so she went to her manager and convinced him to hire Josephine into the Bob Russell Troupe of Performers. Amazing. Uh, Josephine was to be part of the chorus line. Mm -hmm. And specifically, she was the last girl in the chorus line. And this is actually quite an important role, because this is something I didn't know about this sort of performance. But the, the sort of the final girl in the line is 
much more of a performer than the rest of the chorus line because they're generally expected to play a comedic role. Yeah, that makes sense. Like thinking about all of those things I've seen that take off chorus lines, mm-hmm. they do tend to have because they've got one arm free. Yeah, and they're on the end. They tend to do like the little extras. But not just that. They they do stuff like. It seems like they mess up the dance and they forget what to do, or they're out of sync with the other steps. Okay. And then usually they kind of like get a sort of redemption in the encore where they <laughs> okay. do it. They do it perfectly, and they do it with added complexity mm. and stuff like that. Um, so she wasn't just dancing; she was doing comedy as well. Yeah. And this is something that she sticks with for quite a long while. Uh, her performances later on tend to have this sort of mix there's like comedy in there as well as the eroticism amazing (laughs) um so pretty cool and it's a pretty good job to land at that point it might be because josephine was in the words of another performer clara's protege you know her lady lover oh right yeah josephine doesn't talk particularly much about this but says that she was she'd spend many hours in clara's dressing room Practicing her penmanship. This may be a joke, as Josephine Baker is not known for really doing any particular writing, Mm -hmm. but it is generally considered that Josephine Baker was bisexual. Okay. Uh, Josephine never really spoke much about this, um, but other sources basically say that, yes, she was bisexual, but she was very discreet about it. You'd have to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like back in those days, I mean, God, imagine that. Imagine if you were in World War II era France being openly like, yes, I am a bisexual. Yeah. That's not going to work out for you. No, absolutely. And definitely not in 1920s Missouri. No, God. Yeah. So at age uh, 14, Josephine goes with the troop when they leave St. Louis and Clara actually leaves the company shortly afterwards as well. Okay. Um, she goes on to have a pretty successful career, mm. um, but it doesn't seem like she and Josephine really meet again. Uh, she continues jo- uh, along with this troupe, and in 1921, she meets and marries someone else, uh, another Willie. Okay, great. Called Willie Baker. Okay. Um, I don't know why she appears to have this... <laughs> she's just to trying name. to show how straight she is oh yes of course of course he's her beard yeah so at this point she's actually she's still 14 she turns 15 this year oh my god um okay and technically it wasn't illegal i think this was in philadelphia okay. technically it wasn't illegal for her to get married but just in case she put down that her age was 19 Whoa. and they actually they weren't in philadelphia at the time they went to philadelphia because josephine was worried about being accused of bigamy oh right yeah because her first marriage was not officially divorced because it wasn't technically legal right yes this actually wouldn't have been a problem because the marriage was illegal there's no way she could be tried for bigamy yeah but i can understand having that as a bit of a worry exactly yeah yeah so uh, at this point she takes on the name of josephine baker mm-hmm. and she sticks with that name mostly because her career starts to get off to a much bigger stride oh right okay uh, she actually leaves willie behind she's still married to him but she leaves him behind to go to new york Ooh, fancy yeah because i hear that if you can make it there you can make it anywhere well she does because 
Uh, in New York at the time, Broadway was putting on an all-black show Ooh. called Shuffle Along. Okay. You might have heard of this. It is a very famous production. It was the first Broadway production to feature an all-jazz soundtrack. Okay, that was really cool. Yeah. She was reprising basically her old roles as the end of the chorus line mm-hmm. girl. Um, but now she was doing it to bigger audiences. Yeah. And obviously there was a lot more clout there. Yeah. Uh, just as a little side note, because this is amazing. So Shuffle Along ran on Broadway for two years. Okay. Uh, until 1922. And then it went on tour for a further two years. Mm-hmm. Over that four-year period, it made $9 million. Whoa, in that, in that day's money. In that day's money. Okay. In this day's money, that is over $146 million. Jesus. Yeah, it was a smash hit. Yeah. For, you know... <laughs> yeah, given that this was a very racist time. Exactly. That's yeah. damn impressive. Yeah. Now, the show itself, and it seems like a lot of the um, earlier parts of Josephine's performances tended to kind of play into the sort of racial stereotype stuff. And actually, and this was a practice I didn't know much about, black performers would wear blackface on the shows. Okay, that actually makes sense to me because Mm. I think I have seen that before. Yeah, basically black performers would put on sort of minstrel makeup. Yeah. And I guess it kind of helps the white audiences be like, oh yes, we know these people. Mm. We see people like this before on stage. It's very, like thinking about it, it's very like... um, Tragedy masks, you know? It kind of is, yeah, but more racist. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) I'm not going to try and um, justify it at all, but yeah, like... It's odd. It's an odd thing. It is an odd thing, yeah. But while doing these performances, uh, she gets scouted... Okay. ...by a woman called Caroline Reagan, who was the wife of a diplomat who was working over in Europe. Okay. Now, Caroline basically wanted to take on a business venture because over in Europe at the time, uh, American jazz and vaudeville was the the in thing. Yeah. It was up and coming. It was going to be like the next big thing. Everyone wanted a part of it. And she wanted to put together a genuine American black performance troupe. Okay. This Josephine Baker's getting supported by a lot of women here. She is, yeah. That's really interesting. It is interesting. Um, it's not... It, it doesn't consistently stay like that, but mm. it is interesting that sort of particularly the early parts of her career, she really gets help from other women. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm assuming that Ms. Reagan is a white lady. Yes, yes, yeah. I believe she is. I don't know for certain, but I'm pretty sure the wife of a diplomat in this era Probably, would yeah. almost definitely be white. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Josephine was initially reluctant because this would mean going over to Europe and mm. basically abandoning her home and every all her friends in America. But her friends basically said to her, you'd be an idiot not to take up this offer. <laughs> so she divorces Willie Baker. Okay, great. <laughs> and heads over to Paris. Ooh. This is in 1925. And on the 2nd of October... The show opens. Now, it's called uh, La Revue Negre. Right, yeah. Which means what you think it means. It does, yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, which I'm not going to repeat. Probably, like, It's not the worst N-word, but, you know, I'm just not going to use it. No, I, I think one could substitute it easily with black people. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the black review. Yeah. 
Um, it was... They they initially had some trouble getting a theatre because even though American Jazz and Vaudeville was popular, a lot of the theatre owners kind of thought it was a bit beneath them, especially in Paris, mm. and they didn't want an all-black cast. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they managed to find a theatre that was of suitable size that was actually basically about to go bankrupt. Oh, wow. So it was kind of... You they don't have show. a choice. Yeah. It's either you accept the show or you go out of business. Yeah. So they accepted the show. It was meant to run for two weeks. Mm-hmm. It ended up running for 10. Ooh. Selling out every single night. Okay, cool. It was hugely popular. Mm. And Josephine was one of the biggest stars in it. Um, she was particularly known for one of the dances called La Dance Sauvage. Oh my God. I know. I know. Like... It's one of these things where it's like, you're really glad that it helps people I like get, make yeah. something of themselves. But obviously it comes from that really awful place of like, ooh, exotic mm-hmm. savages. And it's like, oh, God. I guess the thi- I guess one thing we can say is like, with all these things, they have been stepping stones exactly. into a better today and then to a better future. Absolutely. So it's like, we can still be like, oh, God, oh, <laughs> why? Yeah. But then on the other hand, it at least it showed that black artists were actually really popular among, yeah. like for people. Absolutely. And that will have changed the way that theatres looked at it. And yeah. then that will have had a knock-on effect into today. I mean, it's hard to argue with a show that runs five times longer than it's meant to because mm. it's just so popular. Um, one thing to note, which I really like, is that part of La Dance Sauvage... Uh, Josephine Baker had as one of her co-performers a live cheetah. Oh my god! Which went by the name of Chiquita, <laughs> <laughs> and apparently was an extra draw to the show because sometimes Chiquita would kind of get bored and leap into the orchestra's pit. Oh my god! And would terrify the musicians. <laughs> I don't think anyone ever actually got hurt. I suspect they probably did some horrible things to stop the cheetah from being aggressive. I but, was assume they'd probably have taken her teeth out. Or yeah, something. almost definitely. But I think if you are a musician concentrating on, you know, jazzing it up, yeah. and a cheetah suddenly appears, <laughs> you're going to be surprised. Exit pursued <laughs> by a cheetah. Exactly, yeah. So the show continues to be a success, and they move on to go to Berlin. Uh, it was not as popular in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, France was basically like, oh my God, Josephine, you're amazing. We love you. Yeah. Berlin was like, Josephine, you are pretty good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's what, 1926, 1927 yeah. by this point? No one's got any money. Hyperinflation set <laughs> I mean, in. That's very true. Yes. <laughs> Uh, despite that, though, they were running two shows a night. Whoa. Um, and. When she wasn't performing, Josephine Baker would go out socializing and partying until about four in the morning. Yeah, that makes sense. But the thing is, she was really clever because she wasn't just using this as an opportunity to, you know, have a good time. She was actually networking with people. Brilliant. So at this point, uh, she and her other performers are becoming very popular and lots of other people are making offers for them to perform in their shows instead. Ooh, okay. Uh, Josephine in particular has had a lot of offers and she's turned them all down 
until a uh, gentleman by the name of Paul Deval, who is the manager of a cabaret theatre in Paris. Uh, probably the greatest cabaret theatre, the Folie Berger, Ooh, I think it's pronounced. Okay. Uh, and he is the one who basically finally gets Josephine to break her contract with Caroline and go and work for him in Paris. Okay. It was in her debut performance that she wore her most famous outfit, the banana skirt. Mm-hmm. Um, I reckon if you don't know it, then the moment you see it, you will go, oh yes, I have seen something of this description <laughs> before. See, all I can think of is like, that sounds super racist. I mean, it was. Yeah. Um, but it was one of these things that, you know, made her very well known. Yeah. Uh, I'll show you a picture of her in the banana skirt. Okay. Oh my God, I have seen the banana skirt. <laughs> yeah, I thought you might have done. Yeah. And she's got like a cigarette in one hand and like yep. sleek down hair. So she looks like really cool at the same oh, time. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's not like a, like... The bananas is worrying in some respects, but on mm. the other hand, she doesn't look like a caricature. No, at this point, she does just, you know, look like a person. Yeah, she does. <laughs> yeah, that she's not plastered in any particular horrible minstrel makeup or anything like that. Um, and it very much played into that sort of exoticism and eroticism that was part of her performances. Mm. Uh, as well as she did keep up the comedy elements of it as well. I mean, I th- she'd have to. When they when we say banana skirt, they're very short. They're sort of almost phallic, I would say. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I think it had about 12 fake bananas on it. Amazing. Uh, it does not leave much to the imagination. <laughs> no. In fact, Josephine was known for spending a lot of time on stage, either nude or practically nude. I feel like, and I know it's going to sound super stereotype of me, but I feel like France was the right kind of place for her to end up. Like, instead of Missouri. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's not quite the same France we might think of today. But it's still definitely far more relaxed about these things than America was at the time. Yeah, 100%. So in uh, 1927, she actually gets to star in her first movie. Okay, wow. Yeah, um, which was partially inspired by her performance in uh, the Folie Bergère, mm-hmm. uh, which was called La Siren de Tropique. Oh my God, amazing. Yeah. I love how every time they're like, and she's exotic. Absolutely. She is not from round here. And unfortunately, like her her time in the world of movies, kind of she kind of does the same thing each time. Yeah. Which is she plays like a native African girl who is kind of like tempting to the main character or sometimes saved by the main character, but never ends up with him because the main character has to end up with someone white. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I can't I can't really imagine that there were many other parts for black women other than like between yeah. that and being an enslaved person. Yeah, pretty much. Like as we said, France was more tolerant than America, but it, it wasn't that tolerant yet. No. <laughs> so her films they, they were not hugely successful, not compared to her live shows, mm. but they did succeed in raising her profile. Yeah. 
And by the uh, 1930s, she had actually become an owner of a Parisian business. Oh, cool. And this was partly done in order to get around some of the restrictions in France to non-French workers. Right, yeah. But she started up her own nightclub called Chez Josephine. Oh, that's très chic. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, It was very successful and there are actually, there are still nightclubs called Chez Josephine, kind of jumping on that name yeah. as like, oh yes, we're, we're totally that nightclub. Right. They are not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it's a good name, especially if you can, if you do the whole like, this is our history. Like the East India Trade com- Trading Company people who are not. Yes, absolutely. By 1934... Uh, she had starred in an opera written specifically for her. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And she'd had vocal training for the role. Mm-hmm. So at this point, she had gone from being, you know, like a cabaret singer to like an artiste. Mm. So she was definitely one of the higher class performers. And so she decided to kind of return to America in 1936 to kind of bring back some of that star power back to America. Yeah. They did not like her. Not at all. Sorry, are you a powerful woman? A powerful black woman? Yeah. That's not acceptable. Time magazine. Okay. Referred to her as just a slightly buck-toothed young black woman. Mm Mm-hmm whose figure might be matched in any nightclub show and whose dancing and singing might be topped almost anywhere outside of Paris. Wow. Yeah. Like, it's entirely down to race here. Yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. Like, I, I might be able to appreciate it if they said, actually, we believe that this black nightclub singer is superior, but clearly they're not. No, they very clearly are not. It's some dog whistle racism bullshit. Yeah. Uh, not like even a dog whole... whistle in some ways. But rap music is just people talking over the music, exactly. isn't it? Exactly, yeah, yeah. So she was, as you might imagine, pretty pissed off with these sorts of reviews. Yeah. And she was also getting pretty pissed off by the company she was having to keep. Um, she got into a lot of arguments with people, um, particularly because she spoke out in favour of the invasion of Ethiopia by Mussolini. Okay. Now... Most of her fellow black Americans saw this as a, a, you know, just another bunch of white people coming to Africa to enslave Mm. them. Yeah. But Josephine was actually of a school of French intellectuals who were praising Mussolini for toppling an empire that had still practiced slavery, basically. Right. I didn't know it still practiced slavery. Yeah. That's interesting. So, as such... Josephine got just dispirited with the whole thing and decided, you know what, I'm off. Yeah. So she goes back to Paris. In order to expedite the process, Mm -hmm. she becomes a French citizen and gets a French passport by marrying a Frenchman with the most French name ever. Is it Guillaume? Jean Lyon. Jean Lyon? Yes. Why isn't it Guillaume though? She's broken her streak. (laughs) Absolutely. Jean Lyon. I love it when um, French people have a double barrel name with Jean in it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she also then takes the name Josephine, Josephine. Baker. <laughs> 
And uh, by 1937, she's become a full French citizen. Amazing. And she also has the name of one of Napoleon's mistresses. Absolutely. But of course, we know what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. In 1939, World War II breaks out. And Josephine decides to head to the Maginot Line to entertain the troops. Okay. That is not actually what I saw coming. Well, I mean, we saw World War II yeah, coming. Yeah, no, no. I did, see, I, I did see World War II coming. But, you know, she, she really loved France. She loved mm. her adopted country a lot. And I think she thought, you know, this is what I can do to help with the war effort. To yeah, like, okay. keep morale up. I guess it makes sense if you're a like, famous entertainer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But that was the reason that someone else had a different plan in mind. She was approached by Jacques Abti, head of military intelligence in <gasps> Amazing. Paris. Amazing, yes, okay. He saw that Josephine had three key qualities. She was intelligent, mm-hmm. she had a good cover for moving around Europe, Yeah. and because of her patriotism, she was willing to work for free. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so, as such, she becomes recruited as a spy. Well, even, like, as soon as war breaks out, she's a spy. Yep. That's incredible. It's incredible, but we're going to have to find out what happens next week. Oh, you tease. Absolutely. I mean, we have been recording for nearly 40 minutes, and we are... We've only just got up to that point. Like, <laughs> yeah, this story is long. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's okay. So we are going to pick this up next time, and we are going to learn about... Uh, Josephine Baker's life as a spy and a civil rights activist. Amazing. Because the woman is amazing. <laughs> cool. So thank you very much for listening to that episode of That Time When. Uh, hopefully you'll come back next week for part two. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4. And if you have any suggestions or I've got anything wrong, you can email us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's use in the pod. And thank you for listening. Now go out, invest in eels, and bottle your abusive husband. Bye!